Hello. I am Jack Buckley, Assistant Clinical Professor of Anesthesiology at UCLA Medical Center. Uh, today I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Joshi uh, for the next episode of SNACS Periscope on behalf of the Education Committee. Today we're going to be discussing intraarterial drug delivery. So Dr. Joshi is an Assistant Professor of Anesthesiology at Columbia University whose field of research is intraarterial delivery of drugs for the treatment of brain disease. Dr. Jossi did his training at the University of Delhi and his residency in anesthesiology at the All India Institute of Medical Sciences. He completed his fellowship training for the Royal College of Anesthetics. In the U.S., he started his research under the mentorship of, doc of Dr. William Lawrence Young at Columbia University in 1995. Uh, together, they reported several striking observations regarding the blood flow response to intraarterial vasodilators. In 2003, Dr. Jossi had developed a sophisticated model for the measuring of segmental vascular resistance in a human cerebral circulation to explore the pharmacologic responses uh, to intraarterial vasodilators. But prior to doing high-risk human studies, he felt that it was essential to develop a robust bench research. So he abandoned clinical research in vasodilators, and he focused his energy on basic research for intraarterial drug delivery using animal models in primates, rabbits, and rodents. His laboratory is perhaps amongst the very few laboratories that currently focus on intraarterial drug delivery. Currently, his research, which is funded by the National Cancer Institute, is developing intraarterial drug formulations for the treatment of gliomas, and much of the effort is being placed on improving the pharmacokinetics applications of optical imaging and sensing methods. The multi-center project involves investigators in several universities. Currently, the group is developing better intraarterial drug delivery protocols, optical methods to track drug and tracer concentrations in vivo in the sub-second uh, time frame, and the uh, mapping of drug concentrations in tissue samples by optical means. We're also looking at bioluminescence uh, imaging for a quantitative assessment of tumor treatment response and the computational models of intraarterial drug delivery. A uh, major focus of the group is to optimize the properties of drug formulations for intraarterial delivery. Uh, so, Dr. Jossi, most anesthesiologists are very concerned when they hear about intraarterial injections of drugs. Weren't you concerned re researching this subject that um, there's so much bias against it? Good morning, Dr. Buckley. Uh, yes, indeed. The bias against intraarterial drugs is not limited to anesthesiologists. As anesthesiologists, we all know about the complications due to intraarterial injections of anesthetic drugs. But few of us realize how safe intraarterial anesthetic drugs really are. For nearly 60 years now, intraarterial anesthetics have been used for the localization of brain functions for epilepsy surgery. Therefore, one could make a compelling argument that when used correctly, intraarterial drugs are very safe. In the larger context, the bias against intraarterial drug delivery also stems from past failures and complications of intraarterial treatments, particularly those related to brain cancers. However, in the last two decades, we have seen huge advances in endovascular surgery. And it is a tragedy that we are not focused on endovascular pharmacology. Intraarterial treatments could offer novel treatments for stroke, brain tumors, and other focal diseases. Therefore, the rewards for doing this research are simply too great to ignore. So how is the intraarterial pharmacology different from conventional pharmacology? Endovascular or intraarterial pharmacology is fundamentally different from conventional pharmacology. Many pharmacological concepts, such as drug protein binding, do not apply or do not seem to apply to intraarterial drug delivery. And intraarterial pharmacology is very complex. 
in intra-arterial pharmacokinetics, the hydrodynamic factors related to arterial blood flow and drug injection profile are superimposed on non-equilibrium organ-specific pharmacokinetics, making the field technologically challenging. In many ways, intra-arterial drug delivery has greater resonance with modern advances in medicine, such as nanotechnology, advanced computational modeling, biomedical engineering, particularly optical engineering, as well as future genomic medicines than any other method of drug delivery. These technologies will offer us great opportunities to develop the field of intra-arterial drug delivery for the future. And what do you see as some of the major benefits of intra-arterial drug delivery? Some of the major benefits of intra-arterial drug delivery are, one, targeted drug delivery to a relatively small region of interest, substantial dose reduction compared to intravenous doses, you can achieve 50 to 100-fold less dose requirements. Instantaneous achieving of tissue drug concentrations, which is particularly relevant to, say, post-thrombolysis stroke management. The ability to neutralize the drug or drug effects by systemic antidotes, which will be very relevant with toxic drugs, such as chemotherapeutic drugs, for uh, cancer treatment. Um, what are some of the neurologic applications of intra-arterial drugs? Well, currently the accepted intra-arterial interventions include water testing for localization of brain function for epilepsy surgery, treatment of cerebral vasospasm, which is medically resistant to treatment, intra-arterial thrombolysis for stroke. And in other situations, such as glioma treatments, the benefit of intra-arterial drug delivery are there in certain cases, but are usually temporary and unproven in large trials. So why do you think we don't use intra-arterial drugs more frequently? Well, there are both more logistical and pharmacological reasons for limited use of intra-arterial drugs. Logistically, intra-arterial injections are basically surgical procedures. They are angiographical interventions, and they carry small but legitimate risk of significant neurological injury independent of drug delivery. Therefore, it's prudent to exercise caution while using intra-arterial drugs. But then on the other hand, when you look back at three or four decades of failure of effectively treating stroke or brain cancer with conventional pharmacological means, you have to pause and consider whether alternate approaches to drug delivery are justified, even if these methods of drug delivery carry some additional risks. What are the pharmacologic reasons for not using intra-arterial drugs? On a bigger issue, for the lack of application of intra-arterial drugs is the absence of coordinated research effort to develop the field of intra-arterial drug delivery. Intra-arterial drug delivery falls into no man's land. The subject involves physiology, anatomy, fluid mechanics, biomedical engineering, and pharmacology. Yet it is the radiologists and endovascular surgeons who administer these drugs, and they are largely guided by their own clinical experience. And so far, no specialty has claimed the field. So the effort to develop the field is chaotic and fragmented. On the operational front, intra-arterial drugs have very specific applications, and they work only in three situations. For effective intra-arterial drug delivery, drugs have to be rapidly extracted and retained during the first pass through the regional circulation, which in case of the brain lasts for one to five seconds in various animal models. The drugs have to be rapidly cleared for the, from the rest of the body so that the effect is localized to the site of drug administration. 
and the regional blood flow to the organ at the site of drug delivery has to be low. Otherwise, the drugs will be washed out before they have the desired effect. These basic pharmacological caveats are usually overlooked with intraarterial drug delivery, both in preclinical and clinical research. By the way, it is important to note that drugs have seldom been developed, screened, or formulated for intraarterial drug delivery. What you see in clinical practice is off-label use of intravenous drugs. One of the most important areas of our research now is to optimize the formulation of intraarterial drugs so that they can be rapidly extracted and retained by the brain tissue after such an injection. So, um, for intraarterial drugs are being used for brain tumor treatment before, and they did not work. So, what do you think is new? Well, it is true that intraarterial chemotherapy was proposed um, immediately after the Second World War, and extensive work was done at the NIH in the 1980s. However, clinical and preclinical studies often overlook the biomechanics of injection and the hydrodynamic factors related to arterial blood flow. Many of these studies lacked anatomical specificity. Injections were made into distal cerebral arteries, internal carotid artery, common carotid artery, and sometimes even the aortic arch, and they were all considered to be synonymous. So the experimental data was noisy, the models failed to predict the drug concentrations, and human clinical trials failed to show acceptable therapeutic benefits. So at the very outset of our research, we talked to people who had investigated the field for a very long time and looked for any unpublished information they could provide. And we asked them the questions we thought were very fairly simple. How did you select the drug for intraarterial delivery? What were the parameters of injection? Were the parameters of injection changed based on physiological conditions? And we really got no clear answers. But for us, this happened at a very fertile time. The period between 1995 and 2005, we saw explosive growth of endovascular interventions. So unlike past investigators, we were more determined to follow the questions and confront the technological hurdles they had faced. The second major thing that helped us was the explosion of optical technologies that could be applied to intraarterial pharmacokinetic research. These high-speed methods can track tracer drug concentrations in sub-second time frame, map vascular anatomy, measure the blood flow. They are safe, efficient, and often non-invasive, tissue non-invasive, and they permit repeated site-specific measurement in preclinical research, enabling us to test mechanistic questions related to intraarterial drug delivery. These optical tools are now being used to develop better drug formulations that are specifically designed for intraarterial application. Are you concerned that intraarterial drugs, due to their short residence time, will be unable to penetrate the blood-brain barrier or the blood tumor barrier? Well, the, the blood-brain barrier is often invoked to be the cause of therapeutic failure whenever drug delivery to the tumor fails. However, many other factors in the tumor microenvironment prevent effective drug uptake. For example, then tumor interstitial pressure is very high, the water content is very high, and all that could alter drug kinetics. Within the tumor, there are regions of ischemia, necrosis, hemorrhage that will prevent effective drug delivery, no matter what is the method of drug delivery that is being used. Tumor microenvironment is perhaps much more important to intraarterial drug delivery than is the blood-brain barrier. And some very good research is now being going on to understand these issues. 
for effective glioma treatment, we have to look at the pathology in its totality and not just focus on the blood-brain barrier. And this important realization is sinking in. So considering that the advances in genomic medicine for cancer treatment that's currently underway, do you still consider that intraarterial drugs will play a role in the future treatment of gliomas? Certainly. On a very broad level, the problem with GBM treatment is the phenotypic and genotypic variability of the tumor. This is not tumor of a single cancer cell line, but it's almost like a cancerous organ with a lot of diversity. And the genetic profile of human glioma, although it's rapidly emerging, but it seems unlikely that we'll have a certain, a single gene target that will emerge um, that we could um, home in for treatment purposes. Furthermore, it's also not clear if genotypic profile of GBMs will remain stable or constant over a period of time. There will, or there will be spontaneous or treatment-triggered cell selection leading to drug resistance. Although in the long run, genomic drugs and immunotherapy will certainly play a greater role, the role of conventional chemotherapy cannot be altogether dismissed. Furthermore, some of the future GBM treatment will use very expensive individualized drugs, perhaps RNAs. And from a practical standpoint, the cost of these compounds will be prohibitive. Many nanoparticles, that some of them contain gold, and these are very expensive to produce. Improved intraarterial drug delivery techniques could not only help in giving better treatment, but also contain the cost of novel drug development methods and treatments. So despite genomic advances, intraarterial drug delivery may play a significant role well into the future. So beyond cancer treatment, what are the other potential applications of intraarterial drugs? Well, two things that really stand out. Uh, one, I would say, is intraarterial treatment of cerebral vasospasm. The current approach uses large doses of parapamil, and it seems to be a self-defeating preposition because it can increase the ICP, it can decrease the cerebral perfusion pressure, and it can decrease the cardiac output. Now, we could think of alternate approaches to treatment of cerebral vasospasm based on the site of vasospasm, whether it's proximal or distal, and they could have different treatments, or the use of vasodilator combinations, which would be much more worthwhile area of future research. Second thing which is more important and interesting is perhaps the treatment of embolic stroke after thrombolysis. Imagine if you shut down the neural injury pathway at the start of reperfusion injury by intraarterial interventions. And uh, what, what paths of carrier development could intraarterial-drug-related re uh, research offer to a young attending? Well, again, here there's room for considerable growth. The scope of this field is wide, and it can benefit from wide range of research talent. Conversely, the wide range of talented people could benefit from this field by doing tangible, productive, translational research. Any research, any research is a very serious commitment, and it should be worth the sacrifices and hardships that come with it. And there's a lot of good work that remains to be done with intraarterial drugs. For example, we still have to improve intraarterial formulations, develop better pharmacokinetic models, apply and improve and expand high-speed optical pharmacokinetic methods, develop and assess the treatment of disease models. Then we have to take these paradigms into clinical trials. To achieve this, we'll need a team of committed people. Whether that comes to pass remains to be seen.
Well, thank you, Dr. Joshi, for spending the time uh, speaking with us today. Dr. Bucky, it's my pleasure to talk to you and um, and through you to the members of the SNAC committee, community. But before I close out, I'd like to thank other people who have helped me in research. You mentioned Bill Young. Bill Young introduced me to the field many, many years ago. And even after he left for UCSF, he was always there to give his guidance and advice. I'm also grateful for Dr. Irving J. Biju at Boston University and Charles Emler at Columbia University who have helped me enormously in these many years. Dr. Straubinger at the University of Buffalo, who has been with his pharmaceutical advice and expertise always at hand. Dr. John Biles-Spellman, formerly at Columbia University for his enthusiastic support, critical thinking, and many suggestions. Dr. Jeffrey Bruce, Mike Sisti, and Peter Cano, all leading tumor surgeons and researchers at Columbia University for the support and advice. Members of my own team, May Wang, Rajinder Singh Moon, Johan Kopp, whose hard work and dedication was absolutely essential for these things to come to fruition. And finally, I'd like to thank Dr. Houston Baker at Cancer Imaging Program at the NIH, who really supported and encouraged his research at a time when most people were unwilling even to consider these ideas. Thank you again for this opportunity to talk to you.